Hi, welcome to the Yo and Renee podcast. I'm your host, Yo and Renee, and in this podcast, we will talk about philosophy, religion, political thought, and culture. I hope you enjoy. Okay, here we go. Today, we're going to talk about demons. And here's where I want to interject with my favorite song. Ready? Go ahead. It's where my demons hide. It's where my demons hide. Okay. Standing ovation, anyone? You happy? You happy? I'm thrilled, ecstatic, joyous. Oh, fair enough. Okay, we're going to talk about demons uh, and uh, in the context of Judaism. Um, why do I want to talk about demons? Just like an interest of mine. Um, Every night he reads about demons. He paints demons on our walls. He wakes up with nightmares, sweat pouring down his forehead. No, but I was a gothic teenager, so I was kind of into the dark stuff when I grew up. Everybody's got a dark side. Yeah, okay, that's more than enough now. Um, so yeah, I did grow up. Uh, I grew up, but my mother was uh, what Americans would call a neo-pagan uh, Wiccan. I grew up with uh, some of the uh, her books on the occult. So of course, uh, there were story of uh, information about demons and other occult stuff, witchcraft. So you know, it's kind of you know. You know, it's the tradition of my ancestors is weirdo new age witchcraft. And that involves a little bit of demons, not much, but a little bit. Of course, my focus was demons a little bit, that kind of stuff, because it's dark and I was a teenager. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to talk about it in a Jewish context today. Um, and, oh, here's going to be good. I'm going to promise the listeners that if they stick around to the end of the podcast, which, you know, that's a lot to ask. Such, uh, when we talk about such dark and occult matters, uh, I'm going to tell you a real story how I summoned a demon and how this proves that demons most likely do not exist. You just gave away the ending, yo. <laughs> Go on. Okay. I'm just looking at her like, oh, wow. <laughs> no, because of course my position is that I don't personally uh, think that there's demons. I don't think it likely. Uh, but I'm very open to the possibility that they are, and we're going to discuss that now. Study. Yeah. So when you grew up, what did you know about? Uh, did you teach you anything about demons over yes, there? Yes, indeed. We taught. We're taught that when you built a building, you always had to leave an opening, like a pipe in the wall, or you had to always leave the window open so that demons could escape. Also. Correct me if I'm wrong, because this has been a long time. You couldn't leave food uncovered for a certain amount of time, I think because of demons or Ruach Ra or something. Um, gosh, uh, obviously there's the famous story of Ashmedai, the king of demons, with Shlomo um, trying to capture him and like a well. I don't remember more about that. Okay. I remember reading it. Um, the Jewish press used to have a cartoon, and that was one of their cartoons with Shlomo and Ashmedai. Okay, so you kind of grew up with the idea of demons. Yes, but it wasn't, it was, besides for those stories, it wasn't like talked about much. And even when we were told, okay, that you have to leave something open and don't, um, don't leave food uncovered, it kind of like, it was just said as that. And like, nobody ever talked more about demons as a creature, as a being or about their nature. It was just like kind of a vestige of halakha, right? So because of how it was, you know, um, legalized in halakha it was passed down but like the cultural context wasn't passed down so we didn't have any like more teachings about demons it was just you know we're a legal culture so this is the law now and do this because of and then they would tell you the reason but 
I wouldn't say there was much more attached to it than that. Very true. Very true. We're going to go into that because there's a there's a historical context to that where, uh, of course, Chazal was in a world, our sages were in a world uh, full of demons, in uh, in uh, especially in Babylon. And, of course, we're not. And in the Middle Ages, it became less. So, uh, so uh, the halachas still, there's still halachas that assume demons, but that are... Uh, that are no longer, uh, you don't share that worldview anymore. Fossilization present. Right. Okay, let me take a sip of water. Oh, wait, are those demons in the water? No. Hmm. Right, so the, so the, the Greek word demon is a little bit tricky. So the demon comes from Greek. And in the, uh, in the, if you look at the Greek text, demon and teos are both often words used for gods. So demon is not necessarily a... Uh, uh, an evil spirit in, in the Greek context. You know, it could be a guardian spirit. It could be a disembodied soul, a person who had died who comes back to send a message, which is often called a demon, right? And if you look in the text in Neoplatonism and in regular Platonic thought, like you see that demons are more or less uh, a category of creature that dwells between the terrestrial and the celestial realm. You want me to sing a song about the terrestrial realm? No, let's not do that, right? So, it, but um, you know, later that English has had become uh, in, in English it had become demons. Proceed, my friend. Okay, so yeah, so we're demons. So, for instance, if you look at Philo of Alexandria, who was a first-century Jewish philosopher, he he used the word. Uh, he says. Uh, he talks about angels and he says that is what the philosophers call demon because he's talking about a being that is between the terrestrial and the celestial realm and an angel of course travels back and forth right in jewish thought and so he would say this is what the greeks call a demon because it's sort of a category of where they dwell right so but then when you come to the to the talmud uh and and to the tanakh a little but you see that the, the words there's the word shadim and mazikim and ruchos right these are all these uh, names given to demons. They're not really used very specific. It's sort of general words used. You know, in Tanakh, there's barely any mention of demons. Is there any mention of demons? I don't see any in Chumash for sure. So, that I can think of. well, good question. So we have Azazel, which according to some traditions Sir is Azazel? a demon. Really? Right. Mm -hmm. And then also Shadim, I checked it. It comes twice twice once in the Chumas in the Varim, uh, it talks about people sacrificing to shade him, mm. which you know we retroactively project our idea of a shed a demon on the text, but right. of course uh, we do not know what the uh, maybe we used our right shade back then in that context could have meant something else, right? Although in the ancient world, in the near ancient Near East world, there was all these uh, beings jumping around in their mythology and lore, so it could well be that it is something similar to demon. Right. So, and then it's also in, the, in Tehillim there is people that sacrifice to Shadim. So I, I saw that too in Tanakh. Okay. So we have this idea of demons as fallen angels. You ever heard of that? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously John Milton, Paradise Lost. Oh. I don't know about demons there, but fallen angel. Right. So people conflate all these things. Now a lot of people say, oh, you know, John Milton, but people say, oh. Fallen angels is a Christian concept, but if you look in the Second Temple period, we have some Jewish text that talks about the, the Nephilim, right? And it talks about the son of Bnei Elohim, the son of man fall down. And these are, according to 
some of the apocryphal books like the Book of Jubilees and uh, uh, Sefer Enoch. Um, they are fallen angels and later in Christian thought these were sometimes equated with demons. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I remember obviously learning about Nephilim and Chumash. I don't remember anyone calling them demons. Right. Okay. So the thing is that when Chazal talks about demons, Shadim and, and Mazikim, it is not speaking about a... They're not speaking about a, a theological construct that they derive from the biblical text or anything. They're talking about it like real... Babylonian culture, like the way the local people would talk about it, which is these these beings, these spirits that move around everywhere, that are around you everywhere, that do damage, right? Some of them are good, some of them are bad, right? And so that is the world Chazal lives in. So when they talk about demons, they do not talk about a strong theological concept, which is important. We'll come back to that later. So there's a very basic conversation everyone always has about demons. And that is like, as a Jew, since they are mentioned in Tanakh a little bit, but especially in Ghazal, do we have an obligation to believe in demons? And often people um, place the Rambam view, which is uh, Maimonides, his view is that there is no demons against the Ramban, who criticizes him and who believes there is demons. So that's kind of a standard way. But of course... Um, in, we need an epic rap battle, Rambam versus Rambam. Well, on many, on many issues. But really, in, in, uh, in, in Jewish thought, like most of the sages after the Talmud accepted the existence of demons. And the reason for that is, is well, it's in the Talmud, so people just assume that's, that, that, that's a reality, right? They're, they're not going to metaphysically speculate about these things much if they're writing about other issues, but also the whole world around them believes in demons, right? The idea of demons lasts for a very long time. I mean, probably most of the world today still believes in something like demons. We always say, in the modern world, but what we mean is like a little social club here in the West, and among us in the West, like, you know, probably a minority of people in the West, especially in America, where people are very Christian, like, might deny demons, but a lot of people actually believe in that in, in these things still. Demons and ghosts and other supernatural events. They might not give it much thought, but it is assumed. Can I interject the billboard that I saw? Sure. So this was either in New York or New Jersey, don't remember, but it was a billboard and it was, I believe, I can't remember if it was just a Russian-looking woman on the billboard or if it was actually like, um, something in Russian, but it was someone advertising for love spells and curses and, you know, to be cast upon people that you like or don't like. And I was exceedingly shocked. Right. And it's very common. In the, ni- in the 19th century, there were whole uh, studies done. There were academic stuff written about these things. People collected the demonic, demonology text of, of demons into one text. And there was a lot of, uh, even in the beginning of the 20th century, people still had these uh, upper class, which is like wealthy, educated Germans came together and uh, they, they studied the occult. So is this like where seances were popular? Yeah, all these things, right? What we call New Age now, like that also involved these kind of, uh, the theosophical movement in America or like the German um, uh, magical and occult movement, right? The German nationalists were very big into that. It's a long story. It's not for this podcast, I guess. I can go on and on, but we're going to move on, I guess. Um, So there's a question, right? So whether demons exist or not, to capture back to this, the Rambam, we say, 
doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't say demons exist or Ramban says it does exist. Now there is a machlokas, a disagreement if the Rambam really doesn't believe in demons because he never says it spe- specifically, but it's implied in multiple places and also in the when he when he interprets halacha that has to do with demons. He often avoids mentioning demons and gives another reason or gives another explanation. So, is this typical of the Rambam to be a little bit uh, to obfuscate a bit, or is this uh, atypical for him? No, it's it's atypical because the Rambam will address a topic. He's not going to hide it, um, but uh, he he's talking in passing. Because, for instance, in the um, let me try to refresh my memory. Yeah, so in the Morei Nevuchim, he will talk about. Uh, that in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, people used to drink blood of animals to summon demons. And that's why there's a prohibition hmm. where we shouldn't consume the blood of animals, right? So the focus there is not on demons, it's on the blood of animals. And then in his commentary... And it also doesn't address whether they exist or not. He's just, this is fairly typical of him to talk about reason for the mitzvot, particularly related to Abu Zara. Right. And he, he will say he will say that, uh, you know, that... that, 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 that these these things are nonsense. He associates it with Avadazora. Obviously, he doesn't believe in alien gods, right? So there's a lot of assumptions. He has a comment in the in the Parish Mishnah, uh, uh, similar subjects where he will bring up demons in passing, but not. And it's not the focus. But it is on average assumed by most uh, rabbinic authorities that the Rambam denied it. The Vilna Gaon even said that the Rambam uh, was going straight by cursed philosophy. Cursed by philosophy, the Rambam, but the film on <laughs> did not like uh, the Rambam's positions, and he says he was poisoned by uh, by foreign philosophical ideas on the on these issues. And uh, you know, people like Svi Rukuk, you know, which is a very modern rabbi, he, he was in the seventies. He would say that actually the Rambam didn't deny demons, and he would interpret those texts as uh, saying that no, he's just saying those practices don't work, but demons demons themselves do exist. And then the academic consensus, I don't know how they concluded that. I got this from uh, from uh, from Nassim Slifkin, Reverend Nassim Slifkin's work on this. So he said the academic consensus is that the Rambam does not believe in demons. So we got that. Um, yeah. Water being drunk currently. I get my mouth get dry. I'm not used to talking. Really? That is a lie. That is such a lie. Okay, so... Um, I like, I like the approach of Rav Hirsch on this, and I got here a text, and you said you would read it for me. This is the collected writings of Rav Shimshon Rav Hirsch. It's the, uh, it's the, uh, the last volume that came out much later, because here's, in this volume is all the stuff that they didn't want to publish, because it wasn't, uh, didn't fit in with the Haredi Weltanschung, but now it's, it's published, so we can read him on Agatha, and I put, a. Uh, little cook there and that he speaks here about that first let me just before you read let me just explain he speaks here about that uh the he brings up the rambam and the ramban and he says that like these things uh intelligent people can take either position on and whether demons exist or whether magic he uh works because the rambam also denies the workings of magic this is all matters of speculations and then he says the following and i thought it was very very enlightening could you read it Yes, and I would have wanted to read this in a German accent, but sadly, I have not perfected that accent yet. So I'm just going to read it in a pompous British accent. Actually, erase the word pompous. I think that's judgmental. There is no obligation whatsoever for a Jew to know such or similar matters. 
Knowledge of such things is of no help or benefit in our task on earth to heed the words of the Torah and to observe the divine laws. Whoever does not engage in these speculations and remain, remains ignorant of such matters is none the worse off. What practical difference does it make whether Rambam or Ramban is correct about magic and related matters? Fini. Actually, he says that what your opinion is on demons is not... I mean, it doesn't make a difference in your mission in the world, right? A mission in the world to do mitzvahs, to be good, uh, to follow the Torah. And what your opinion is on uh, on demons is really secondary to that. It's not really relevant. I, I was... I was, it's, Yeah. It's just like your opinion, man. Right. To get a little postmodern about it. But... Um, so yeah, if you look in the Ikari movement in the in the principles of fate, for instance, right? It doesn't say uh, uh, it's not the fourteen principle of fate, better Ramam, that you have to believe in demons, right? It's like saying like you come up to Shemayim and uh, they said, "No, I heard you didn't believe in elephants." It's like, oh yeah, I didn't believe in elephants. Well, you're wrong. Now it's over. You're going to be punished for not believing in elephants, right? A demon is just a creature, and if it happens to have existed, right, and you didn't believe in it, well, it's like denying an elephant or a cow. Like it doesn't really make a difference, unless you're Hindu. Well, I'm talking about it from a Jewish perspective. So if you are wrong about demons, you can always say, Rav Shimshon says it's okay. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about what demons are in Chazal, just to get that uh, and in Jewish tradition. Because the Talmud itself is not very clear about exactly what demons are. It's because they are living in a world with all these spirits and creatures and demons and mazikim, right? So they don't, they're not going to systemize the idea, but they have something to say. I did find a source that kind of gives you an idea of how they saw some of these things. So um, it's nicely translated from the Gemara in Chagiga. The rabbis thought six, six things were said about demons, three in which they resemble the angels and three in which they resemble human beings. The three in which they resemble the angels are that they have wings, they fly from one end of the earth to the other, and they know the future, and the three in which they resemble humans are that they eat and drink, reproduce and die. So that is a uh, Talmudic uh, explanation. And it does kind of gives you an idea of what they thought. It seems some semi-physical beings, right? Yeah, that's not uh, how I would imagine a demon. I wouldn't imagine they have corporeality. Right. So now when Chazal speaks, there's a lot of creatures in Chazal, right? Mazikian, Shadim, right? We don't know exactly... Uh, if this, if they felt this applied to all these things later, there's all there's a source uh, that um, that says that we are surrounded by demons, uh, a thousand on one side and ten thousand on another side. Oh wait, wait, wait! I do remember that. That isn't that. Um, doesn't King Shlomo right? Um, I have demons surrounding me on one side and the other side. Isn't that from there? I'm trying to remember, it's like some in the Kriya Shema Lamita bedtime Shema. Oh, um, okay, so. I'm kind of blanking on that. But yeah, so there is there is all kind of stuff being said about demons, but it's not a coherent, it's not system, systematic. Now, I also saw us in the Zohar, right? In the uh, in the Zohar, they say that uh, there's demons that are similar to angels. Then there's demons that resemble humans. We call them Shadim, Yehudim, Jewish demons. Okay? Hmm. I think wow, that's I, a good phrase if you use against anyone you don't like. I was going to say, I think I met some of those. And and they but they live according to the Torah, and then there is those demons that uh, that that have no year Shemayim, They don't have fear of God, and they are like animals. Right. So is this supposed to be like metaphorical? Well, we're gonna get into that in a second. 
right? So the Zohar might obviously be metaphorical because it's a cryptic text. Also, is it a Musr text, like a morality text telling you how to behave? I do not think that's what it is about, but okay. So maybe you could read that in there. So then we have different opinions, right? So the Ramban tries to figure it out. He says the demons are, are made out of the elements of fire and air, right? They have physical bodies. Uh, and they can't, but they they are not affected by the the loss of nature the same way we are. But they do die like human beings. And then the Chaim Vital was one of the uh, Arizal's uh, students of the Lurianic Kabbalah. He will say now they're not out of two elements; they're actually out of one of the four elements. Right. So there's all this disagreement. I, I saw Ramchal. I looked into the afternoon. He says uh, the demons are the they're the physical. The summer ruchni vigashmi, right? Like it's between the physical and the spiritual, right? Which my philosophical uh, sensibilities get hurt by that. Like, how can something be? <laughs> because if it's slightly physical, then it's physical, right? But I guess he he's talking more in a in a in a sense that I I just don't know, like some seventeenth century way of thinking. It's also interesting how you know as you move through time, like the elements, right? They're they're adopting the the worldview of their time. So using the elements to describe demons was something that could only have been done when the elements was part of the vernacular. Yeah, so they're trying to systemize, they're trying to figure out what a demon is, right? They're trying to put some some meat and bones, no pun intended, uh, to a demon, right? But you also see that Ram Hall has sort of a, a view that, like, for instance, the angels are immaterial, humans are both immaterial, meaning the soul, they're complete, and material, they're duality, uh, the body, the, the material body, and the animal soul, according to the Ramchal, are material souls, right? So that only humans are this absolute duality, and everything else, like demons or animals, they're not uh, absolute duality between the spiritual and the physical, right? These are, and this is a very philosophical approach because the Ramchal is a philosopher, right? The Ramchal was a mystic, but he was very, he was in, from Italy, so they were very well, uh, they was a Renaissance scholar, in a sense. Uh, and so, yeah, he was well, very well read in the philosophical works. He wrote a book, Choker uh, or Mokubal, where he uh, where he argues that Mokubal, the, the mystic, is superior than the Choker, the philosopher. But he obviously uses uh, philosophical arguments to establish that. So he's more talking about a Misora tradition of the Choker and the Mokubal. But yeah, he was very well read. He yeah, he says that you have to study the. The, the, the works of the non-Jews to impress them to make a kid as a shame. Oh my gosh, that's exactly what I said in my seminary interview and I didn't get accepted. Huh. I wonder why you didn't get accepted. <laughs> it was for the best, it was fine. Right, so now you already asked, like, how should we read these texts in the Gemara, right? In the, in the Talmud or in the, in the, in the, um, in the Zohar. How, how would you read the text in the Talmud? Because if the Talmud says that there's demons and then we are going to say they, there are no demons, so like how does that work out, right? So um, so we have in the Talmud, we have in, if you look in the back of Masechtas, uh, of Masechtas uh, Brachas, mm -hmm. in the beginning of the Talmud, in the back of the first Masechta, you see a little book called Mevo Talmud by Shmuel uh, HaNaget. It's from the 10th century. And he says that in matters of Agadah and and Drash, you don't have an. Uh, they are just the obligation. They are just the view of the personal view of the sages. You don't have an obligation to accept their uh, perspective. And this is also shared by Rav Shimshon Rav Hurst. It says that Agadah and Drash, they're not from Harsinai. They're not from Sinai. Right? Uh, so we don't, as, as we don't base laws on us, we don't have a, a uh, 
obligation to, to accept everything. And then you can certainly apply that to demons, right? If you say, okay, so I don't have an obligation, even though the Talmud says that I don't have an obligation to believe in demons. Uh, but then we'll have some interesting stuff I found uh, directly uh, talking about the question of demons in the, Tal- in, the, in, the, in the Gomorrah, in the Talmud. And we have Rav Avram ben Harambam, which is the Rambam's son from the 12th century. He says, uh, on his Maimar al-Drash's Chazal, he says the uh, Talmudic references to demons are accounts in offense of uh, are accounts in offense of dreams that are not actual. Well, I'm like misreading my own quote. The Talmudic references in the in about demons they are just accounts of dreams. They didn't actually happen. There's not just things actual demons. And he says, and only a fool will take them to be actual creatures, right? Mm-hmm. So he says very clearly, right, like his father, there's no demons, and he actually thinks it's foolish to believe there's demons. And this is on how to read the Talmud. Now, I found another source, Rabbi Avraham uh, Bibago, I don't know who he is from the 15th century, and he says that demons, when you read it in the Gomorrah, they are just figments of people's imagination. They're just sort of imagining them. Right? So these are very hardcore interpretations. And that's not shared by the majority of sages, right? Um, so, right. So now my question is, how does Chazal, how do sages themselves understand them, right? Because like it's very nice to say an abstract rule like, oh, this is just a god, right? But when a, when a sage in the Talmud says something about demons, right? Especially uh, Rav Bibi Ben Abaya, who says he saw demons, right? Like, is he just, oh, I'm just being, uh, it's just a god, guys. I don't mean this, right? So, uh so how does the Chazal see themselves? So here I'm going to say that I do think that the sages of the Talmud um, believe in demons. Um, just because some believe in demons doesn't mean that all of them believe in demons. But I do think there is a general worldview and probably all of them believe in demons. right? Because even if a story is like uh, hyperbolic, like, uh, like the story you mentioned of Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, and the Ashmodai, the, the king of the demons, right? So that is a... A story about um, uh, about something in Tanakh. It's long ago, right? So maybe that is just hyperbolic. But when they say, "Oh, I saw a demon," or they say, "You you shouldn't go to abandoned buildings or graveyards because there's demons," right? Clearly, that like it's clearly they they think they're actual demons that in their world, right? And I think one can make the historical case that. That is the case, and it's very hard actually to say that that they to say that like oh no they have our modern views that there is no such thing as demons. It's very hard to say because the Greeks and the Romans believed in demons and spirits, right? And these supernatural creatures, and also the Sarastrians, right? Uh, in Babylon, they had a, a massive cosmology of all kind of hierarchies of demons and creatures and good and bad, right? And of course, if you see that. Uh, the, the, the Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, talks much more about demons. Well, there happens to be they are in uh, in the world of Zoroastrianism. They are surrounded by these uh, Babylonians that all believe that. So, of course, the Babylonian Talmud is going to talk more about demons because it's more part of their world than, for instance, the Mishnah or the Talmud Yushalmi, which are more in the Greco-Roman world and where that's much less of a cultural phenomenon. So basically, if you were in Babylon and you were into Torah Umada, you would be into demons. Yes, so that's also a very good point. So that's what I say, right? They're not being primitive, right? Because if you look, right? They, if you look at the intellectual culture of the day, right? Like the Greek philosophers, like I said, Plato, Plato has these kind of notions. Aristotle has like uh, these 
these ethereal beings he talks about, right? The Neoplatonists, which in the third century, which is around the time of Ghazal, they had they ranked these creatures into a philosophical context. You see educated Jews like Josephus and Philo talk about the church fathers like Augustine, which is like a big Christian uh, philosopher, highly educated. He talks about demons, right? So the whole intellectual world seems to accept that there is such a thing as demons or these kind of semi-supernatural beings, right? So if you say this Chochma Bagoyim and the science of the day is demons, even though that makes you uncomfortable to think that demonology is a science, well, that was the science of the day. So Chazal is not being... Uh, uh, backwards, Ghazal is being very uh, with it. With it, yeah, in their own time. With it is a bar park word. I haven't used that in like fifteen years. So yeah, so I want to I want to look at some last aspects here of like you know arguments for demons. Can we say there? Can we make an argument, a positive argument for demons? I, as I said, I'm open to the idea of demons. It was very open minded. I'm so open-minded, my brain falls out. Isn't it like some some boomer thing? Boomers has to say that. Boomer? That's what that's what people tell. <laughs> Not to be too negative, but that's what fundamentalists in Bar Park tell uh, people who are slightly more liberal. No, I don't mean politically. I mean religiously. Don't oh. be so open-minded. Your brain falls out. Oh, okay. So you, you're from that culture. I don't, I'm not. I'm from Holland. A little different over there. So, uh, yeah, so talking about Holland, right? One of the great uh, 17th century Dutch Jewish uh, Sephardic sages, Benashub in Israel, he actually makes a case for demons. He brings in arguments from tradition, reason, and experience. Uh, yeah, so for, for tradition, he will just say, like the Hebrew Bible speaks about demons, the Talmudic sages, the Zohar, and most of the Roshonim believed in, uh, in demons. He, he brings up the Rambam, but he actually says, you know, the Rambam was just wrong. That was just this. His philosophical idea. So he says, yeah, from tradition, we are justified to believe in demons. That's an argument for demons from tradition. The second part is reason. Now, that's very interesting. You have to, like, think a little bit 17th century again. <laughs> he says, from observation, we see that uh, the earth and water produce life, right? So water produces fish, earth produces animals. So he says, now, well, there is a, the, anim, the elements of fire and air, which is much closer to the heavenly sphere. If the lower elements produce creatures then surely those higher elements like fire and air produce creatures so he says so he says uh therefore we can see on a scientific philosophical level that demons uh, can exist interesting yeah so we but in its own context that is a reasonable argument for its time and then he says experience and this is this is one of my favorite parts because this is of course a big deal right in his world in holland in the 17th century you know, he, he brings up, there is, we see stories, we hear stories about demons all around us, right? So um, he says, uh, although we can't see demons, that doesn't mean they're not there, because how do we know that there's a God? And how do we know there is a God? Because we see his actions, right? We see the things he's done, right? We know there's a creator because he created the world, right? And he says, and we don't see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. We see things blow, we feel it against our skin, right? So things you can't see, because he believes demons are invisible, Things you can see, you can still see the, by, the affection, by the effects they have. And this, he says, well, similarly with demons, we hear all these stories all, all, all around us about uh, how demons affect people's life. He talks about how demons, uh, about demon possessions that uh, in his time and demons doing miracles and demons having intercourse with women. Yeah, I had to put that in. There's this famous painting. Um, I think it's called like Succubus or something, but with a demon on top of a woman. It was in... Um... 
It was even in my Bisakov like history textbook or something. Oh, okay. Well, that's the... Maybe not. Maybe it was college. <laughs> Could be. Well, so he would obviously say you can't see the succubus, right? You can't see the demon because he says demons are invisible. He, he talks about how demons foretell the future. So he says, from experience, we hear all these stories about demons, right? I might not have seen the Romans ever in my life, but if I live in the time of the Romans, right? People talk about all the things the Romans do. I am justified to believe that there is Romans, even I never saw it. And similarly here, we don't see the demons, but we see their effects and we hear all these stories. I think that is a reasonable argument. Like, I think that... It, if you take away that argument, right, for his day, if you take away that argument, then a lot of things where you see the effects are not justifiably anymore if you just take away that idea of experience. Unless you have other reasons to think there's no demons. So, can I sing a song? Go ahead. So, related to the four elements and oh, <laughs> demons. So, when I was a kid, we used to watch Scooby-Doo. And one of the Scooby-Doo episodes involved witches, okay? So, you know, witches, supernatural stuff. And I think they had a band. Oh, I know. The whole point of the story was they thought they were witches, but in the end, they actually had a band, and it was called The Four Elements. But Shaggy and Scooby watched them rehearsing. They thought they were performing some kind of witchcraft thing. And this was the song that they sang. It's very relevant, people, so you should, you should know. <laughs> it goes, Earth, wind, fire, air. We may look bad, but we don't care. Anyway, you can continue. I just wanted to make sure I, the audience fully, um, you know, was entertained. I think the Mazikim are forcing you to violate Kol Isha on this recording. Oh my gosh, we could have another podcast on that. Oh, we, yeah, we should definitely do a podcast. Actually, we shouldn't. This is a little sensitive. Anyway, go on. Oh, sensitive? I'm, I'm so not sensitive. Okay, so... We're going to talk about, uh, where were we? Okay, so so he has these arguments why he thinks demons are real. Now, I collected some aspects um, to say that, like, to think of that demons are real in our own day, even though um, I don't think that's the case. Um, there, there is some, some, uh, there's, there's some justifications about how we can, how we can think about these things, uh, that we are that around us that is contemporary, uh, that we that is still somewhat justified, right? For instance, for instance, you can say it's universally hold even today, right? Most a lot of people, most people of the world probably believe in things like angels, right? Or the Hindu deities. The Hindu deities, the the, the, the Hindu gods are of course um, uh, uh, beings that move around, right? So. You have some song again? <laughs> no, I don't have a song. I have another Borough Park aphorism, which is, if the whole world tells you to jump off the roof, would you jump off the roof? No, but I'm saying that, that like, many people, right, believe something. We often say, okay, that's justified, right? So now, because our particular culture, which I think is a minority culture, a Western... Oh my gosh, we're minorities? No way. And not even all of the West, right? Our particular subculture of Westerners, uh, we don't believe in these things that... So we think that it's completely irrational, but most people that think it's irrational, they're just, that's also their culture, right? They haven't thought about these things. So similarly, if the, if the rest of the world believes in spirits and devils and angels, right? And pagan deities, a person can say, well, everyone believes this. Why should I question this, right? This, there's some semi-spiritual beings around. Everyone believes this, right? Which sounds like a dumb argument, but it's not. Right? It's not a real argument, but it's definitely a justification for most of the beliefs you hold every day. Right? Now, I had a co-worker who believed in ghosts. And uh, she asked me one day, she had to go downstairs, and she asked me if I could come with her because she was scared of 
ghosts. This is modern day America, scared of ghosts. So I went down with her in the basement. There were no ghosts. Then we went out. So, you know. Yeah, this kind of sounds like I adored her. Scared, scared, come with me. Right, right. And, and there's people, there's people, um, there's people, like up until the 20th century in here, in, not until 1980s, they did para, parapsychology when they had academics studying supernatural phenomena. Now, it and now ran out just of fashion. Had, now we have non-academics with supernatural phenomenon. Right, but it ran Psychics out, and... Uh, right, we still have those. But it ran, parapsychology ran out of fashion. And, you know, and I'm a little biased against it because I'm just going to assume it ran out of fashion because it was ridiculous, right? But that might just be my cultural uh, background speaking rather than... Uh, but until the 1980s, this supernatural events were studied at an academic level, at least. So, right? So also, like if, if we think of demons as invisible creatures, right? We do have in academia even today, invisible objects, namely in the mathematics department, there's a, something called philosophical realism or uh, neoplatonic thought of math, right? And they believe that abstract objects like numbers, right? They have actual reality. They're not physical. They're not visible, but they have an actual reality. This is a modern day. I think someone's read that this is a majority of philosophers of math. Now, I don't know how many philosophers of math there are. That could be 10 guys and eight hold it, right? And it's not a big thing. But I feel in modern day academic thought, in philosophical realism, when it comes to abstract objects, people believe in non-physical objects. Also, what about, I mean, okay, I'm going to display my ignorance of physics here, but... Right, isn't like a lot of stuff in physics, especially quantum physics, maybe, um, you know, based on things we can't really observe. No, because when we, when we well, yeah, well, when we say like a particle uh, could be it's two different places at the same time, right? Like the particle is still physical. I don't know if that's what you're talking about. No, I don't know what I think I'm talking about. So just move on. I'm not a science person at all. Well, in, in physics, we often assume physical object, like like energy, right? Like the if you go all the way down to the bottom of material things, it's energy, but energy is physical. Right. Okay. But I'm going to say, let's say, right, we look at the things that happen around us and we give them a name, right? And we call and we create laws and that's how, that's what physics is. Whereas, you know, in that previous worldview, they would say, oh, instead of, instead of the law of gravity, they'd say it's a demon, right? Or you understand the idea? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. So that, when you read literature on demons, what, what people think a lot of these demon phenomena comes from is like psychological illness, right? People, uh, when they were possessed by a demon, they just have like a, a mental breakdown, things like that. Um, people in, have a, uh, imagine there's demons, so they act like there's demons. And uh, things are explained by supernatural oh, forces. Oh, Dibbuk. Dibbuk is another thing that was like slightly mentioned growing up. You know, I remember reading at my grandmother's house the whole story about Dibbuk's. I was freaked out. Right. Well, so yeah. Uh, so um, we see. Uh, so we see that like about other things in modern day thought, like for instance. Right, so demons are intelligent beings. So in our own mind, right, if we take away God, we're the only intelligent beings that are in in the world, right? So why would there be demons if there's other if if the only other intelligent beings we know is humans, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore angels for a second. Maybe we'll do that in another podcast, or I'll, I'll talk about that because I, I'm much more open to angels, obviously. Um, but for instance, if you I'm look, an angel, that's why. That's right. 
I married one. And uh, I don't know if that's halakhically allowed to marry something that's not of the same species. I'm a fallen angel. I came down for you. I can marry a dolphin. I can marry an angel. You know, the modern world. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, but for instance, but the, we, we see in, uh, in evolution, in human evolution, right? We see that there was other sentient beings besides us homo sapiens, like the, uh, I wrote it down, the homo rudol. Rudolphinus in East Africa, the Homo erectus in East Asia, and the Homo neanderthalis in Europe and Western Asia, right? So these are not earlier stages of man. These are separate humanoids that were on the planet at some point together with us Homo sapiens. They died out. It's a whole question. What happened? It's a little controversial, but we're not going to go into that. So, but yeah, so we see there is other intelligent beings on in our universe other than us homo sapiens, because we have evidence that there was other human, no humanoid species. Now, that brings me to the I, final thing. Right, I don't think you can say, I mean, just because there were other kinds of sapiens, that's uh, not the same thing as a demon. They're totally different categories. No, this is, oh, sorry. This is only to say that if you say, well, a demon is an intelligent being, there is no such thing as other intelligent beings except for humans, right? Then you can say there's other versions of, uh, of humans with dogs. But this brings me to another thing, namely extraterrestrial life. I think most. Da, 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 da. Oh, here we go. Extraterrestrial. That's it? I don't know the rest of the song. <laughs> like Katy Perry and. That was Katy Perry. Kanye West. Kanye 2020, everyone. Kanye. I love Kanye West. Okay. Anyway, so alien life. Now, a lot of people believe in alien I think most people I ever met would say, oh yeah, I think it's possible alien life, right? Even though on probability theory, it's not very likely, right? It's already extremely unlikely we're here in this universe, right? And that there's other life and that other life is intelligence, for instance, that is on probability is extremely unlikely. Yet, even though we have a mathematical argument against it and a strong one that it's not likely, a lot of people still want to believe, believe it or think, oh, they will just say, oh, that's just probability theory, right? Like, we don't even know what there will be. So maybe all the variables are different, right? Like, right. So a lot of people believe actually in uh, intelligent beings, other than human beings that dwell in this universe. And that even though it's not, there's a lot of, there's a big argument against it. They still think they're justified in, in believing them. And, uh, you know, so that is a similar idea as demons, right? Of course, they will say it's very different, but it's similar in the sense that there's intelligent that people think it's not unlikely that there's intelligent, uh, even creatures that might be radically different from us, but they're still intelligent beings. So now I want to argue why I think demons are not real, and this sounds maybe a little bit counterintuitive because we say, well, of course demons are real because we're the smart guys, right? But we just say that because we just got thought when we grow up. Even though I was taught with some supernatural stuff, but Wait, on were, average, you, were you actually? Not really. My mother had the books, but she never said these things were real, right? She did believe in magic, but she. Uh, well, your mother doesn't seem to have been the kind of person to pass down her beliefs to you, anyway. How much did she talk about talk about her beliefs to you guys? Talk, she never talked about it growing up, but I saw her stuff, so I asked her questions, right? So I engaged her on these things. So we had long conversations, anyway. So, right, but I do think that one should make an argument if you don't believe in demons, right? Like, you should have some justification. And if you're going to say 
my justification is come on oh come on right because you never gave it a thought i don't think that's bad but then when someone who believes in demons says oh come on of course they're demons right it's that is equally similar sounded. because it comes from a cultural intuition right so uh, I'm going to use the same levels that Menachem and Israel used, tradition, reason, and experience, and I'm going to argue against demons. Parallelism. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of searching my head what you said, but yeah, right. Parallelism. Right. Literary technique. Okay, right. So there you go. So for, first from tradition, um, well, I have Chazal and the Rishonim against me, right? Because the majority would say that... Um, there is demons. Now, I can. My argument would be that uh, when Chazal added stories of demons into the text, right? The editors of the Gomorrah added stories into the text. They were not applying the historical method. They were just applying Masora, right? The story had a certain meaning. Uh, it happened to involve a demon, and they put it in the text. And how do they know where it comes from? Well, they have it from a tradition. They heard it from someone or it's a popular idea in their in their in their neighborhood and they put it in the text, right? So I have a reason to say that the inclusion of demons not necessarily believe, means that, you know, I have now a, a Masora from heaven that there's demons, right? Also, I think that um, the reason for Ghazal uh, um the reasons Ghazal didn't question demons is because the whole world around them accepted demons, right? So Ghazal is not intellectually engaged with this topic on a philosophical level because it's just assumed, right? And we don't see them make an argument either way, right? So then, uh, what I said earlier, right? If you look at the stories about demons in the Yerushalmi, it's less. In the Jerusalem Talmud, it's less. In the Babylonian Talmud, it's more because the uh, the Babylonians were more about had a more demon-rich culture. Because I'm all about that demon, that that demon, but that demon. Right, and when I read some of the literature, on it, it also says that when you look at the Jews in the Muslim worlds, they will use Islamic language to like the jinn, right, to to do to describe demons that Islamic influences of that thought, and in the Christian world, that Christian influence on that thought, right. So we see that that their view of demons in the Chazal. And in the later we shown them is influenced by the culture around them, and they had no reason to question it, and they had no, they didn't use the historical method to put it into the text to begin with. So, I'm not forced by tradition to accept the the demons purely because it's mentioned. Now, then, is from reason, I think there is a, a metaphysical argument, a theological argument, and historical argument to some extent. Um, for instance, the metaphysical argument is that. Um, that when we describe demons, we use the, sort of the Neoplatonic idea of a semi-physical, semi-immaterial uh, being. And I already said earlier, like that, it seems like right if some, either something is physical or something is immaterial, right? It it, it cannot be either way. So the whole idea of demons as they are described often, right, is not really philosophically possible to me. It doesn't seem to me that such a being exists. If they would exist, they would be material, right? which then comes to a theological argument, right? There is a theological argument that immaterial angels, right? Angels are created with a purpose, right? They, they, the purpose of angels is to do certain jobs that God says. But demons are not... Under the control of God? Right. Demons are not uh, with a purpose. Demons here uh, uh, are like animals. They're like the material beings, like humans and animals, right? You already 
right? Because my metaphysical argument leads to the idea that they are fully material. So they're just like animals and they're not, so they're not, there's no theological reason to think they exist. There's no, there's no justification within theological thought to think they exist. Now, angels is a different question, but demons for sure, there's no such justification. And if they are just like animals and humans, then they are, uh, they're not observed right now. No one sees them, right? There's, we have all these cameras around us now. And there's no videos of demons. Right? You would think now there's more video evidence, right? This would be demons, right? We don't see it. Wait, um, did you address what if demons are immaterial? Yeah, I just, in the metaphysical argument, uh, oh, whether demons are fully immaterial? Yeah. No, I didn't address that. That's a good point. I didn't address that there. But that's a good point. Right. That's why I'm so smart. But right, so okay, so there's a, a little uh, a little glitch there. Pro demon argument one. <laughs> there you go. So, but right, so but in this, uh, we haven't observed that if they are physical. Let's go with that for now. Then we haven't observed them. So, right, we have other other animals, right? And then there's the historical arguments, right? Demons are like mermaids and unicorns and goblins, right? The, when the larger society assumed these things existed, there's all these stories, but now that we don't assume these things are around us, we have much less of these stories, right? And so I said, demons are better explained as folklore than as actual creatures, right? And that is from reason, than from experience. And now we're going to get to me summoning a demon. This is going to be exciting. I'm not going to summon life. It's just a story. Okay. Right. So, right, um, we see that in from experience, right? We see that like every encounter about described with demons are very different. Everyone gives it their own coloring of their own culture. That itself doesn't mean the demons don't exist, but like, you know, it's uh, we're making a cumulative case here, right? Um, you see that demons are being driven out in the name of Jesus, for instance, and we see demons, Jesus. That, mm -hmm, demons that affirm the truth of Christianity. There's demons that affirm the truth of Judaism. There's demons that affirm the truth of Islam in these stories, right? So, you know, it seems more like a, a folklore cultural bounding than than uh, actual experiences people have. Now, there is a story. I lived in Svat in Israel, and there's a story that in the Arizal Shul in Svat, the young Baba Sali, who was a Moroccan uh, Kabbalist, a Makubal, he drove out a demon that was occupying the uh, the, the Ari Shul. And you have to mention Svat is a city of mystics. Svat is a city of mystics, and this was his story. And, and hippies, And then Same there was thing. this old Sephardi guy who told us that this story never happened. His father lived in Svat, and his father's father lived in Svat. There was never a story of a demon. The Baba Sali never came to drive out a demon, right? So, and But this story is even in the Baba Sali's biography in English. I see you roll your eyes, because these people believe in demons, right? But, no, I'm just saying that, you know, if the... Well... I guess you can't know who to believe. Well, and it says in the Baba Sali's English biography that you should never, uh, you should always verify his stories, right? Which maybe they did, right? That's a lot of stories going around. But here's this person saying, ah, I guarantee you, like this, like my ancestors lived here the whole time, but this didn't happen. No such thing as a demon in the shul, right? So we could see that, like, you can make these stories up and they can become widely accepted within your own generation, right? Because Frindle. Baba Sali, uh, passed away when I, I was a little child. So within our, my own time period, there's like stories about demon and exorcism in cities and it comes from, it ends up in biographies and they're probably not true. Right? So we see this, these stories can f so shape, 
right? Uh, and then, um, uh, so from experience, I don't think you can really justify, unless you have like a personal experience, and we're gonna go into that, I don't think you can justify uh, the idea of demons. So as an accumulative case, I would say all these things together, I think there's no such thing as demons. You put a little glitch in there with the immaterial question, right? But I'm just giving a short overview. Because I do think if you say, oh, I don't believe in demons, you have to justify yourself if you, you got to take a position on stuff, right? Even if you're going to be wrong, you have to have a plausibility level that is higher than its negation, right? So now we're going to get to a personal story. So when I was a young teenager, I was very much into the occult arts, which means I just read books and felt really spooky and exotic. And so I, uh, I read, uh, I don't even know what book it was, but I was deciding to summon the demon Piemon. You can Google Piemon. He is in the demonic uh, demonology. Piemon is one of the demons in there. And I don't remember why I picked him, but I do remember he was riding a giant bird in the picture. So that was awesome. Right? So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this out. So actually, this was like a um, a empirical test of a dumb teenager. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to check this out. I don't know if this is true. Right? So then, here it's going to get creepy, okay? Then, so I went to, I went, I went, I, I, I bought an altar, which was just, okay. I bought an altar, which was just a, a table, a living room table that I bought. Yeah. You actually bought a table for this purpose? Yeah. You didn't have a table and, already that you could use? I, nope. Why? Were there like specifications that had to be under it a certain be, height? It has to be designated for the sake of, I'm using Jewish language now, designated <laughs> for altar, for altar purposes. Wow. I got like all kind of stuff. And then I even got a, uh. A knife, and for I think the name was in Dutch for atama, which was like a ritual knife. So it had to have two sharp sides, one on both sides. Like it couldn't be on one sharp side. It had two sharp sides. So I went to the knife store in Amsterdam. I showed up as a teenager that looked like a crazy gothic kid, and I found a knife that was pleasing to me, and I was buying it. And the guy looks at me and he says, "What are you going to use it for?" I said, "Well, I'm going to use it for my altar." And he just looked like me like I was crazy. And I had a lot of fun saying that to him. Oh my God, you were a drama king always. Always. So then I did the ritual. I don't even know. That ritual, I might have half made up that ritual. But then, you, what was the ritual? I don't even know what it was. I'm just calling his name and bringing him in. And, when you call my name. Right. So, so I did that. And then I had a cold chill. I had a cold chill come off my body. And I was like, oh. Well, chill, right? That's crazy. So then I left. I was like, ah, nothing happened. Fine. Even though I did feel a cold chill. Then my mother. You left what? The room? I left the room. I lived my life for another day and a half or something. And then my mother one day comes up to me. And I haven't told her this. My mother tells me. And she was a occult lady. And she told me, I don't know what you saw. This is a true story. I don't know what you saw brought into that room, but I want it out now. <laughs> I don't know what you brought into that room, but I want it out now. But your mother saw that you um, wow. read occult books though, right? Right. At the time, I was like, well, this is really crazy. But of course... In my mind, I knew that, like, oh, yeah, I had this chill, and my mother says these things. But, of course, my mom had seen me do a, a lot of weirdo stuff there. So, who knows? Maybe she was, like, imagining things. And I was imagining things, right? 
retroactively, and at the time I kind of knew it was all nonsensical, but let's say I was a little bit, because nothing really happened and there's all kind of explanations why my mom would say that. And I didn't chase out the demon afterwards and she never brought it up again, right? <laughs> but Wait, is there a I was caught put back ritual or you just bring it and then you can't do anything about it? I don't even remember. I don't even remember. But because of, if I had was more a person who believes these things, which is many people on this planet believe these things, right? I might have taken this story as personal evidence that a demon came and the demon and hence demons exist. And there you go. We, I know from personal experiences what our mind can trick us to and how we can justify these kind of things in our heads. That could be the origin of many of these stories. I know we're running late. I want to say a thank you to Rabbi Nathan Slifkin, even though he didn't know I'm making this. I met him once in my life, but his, he had a little text online called Wrestling with Demons, and he brings in a lot of the sources I used. So I was just being lazy. I wasn't being scholarly, I was being lazy. So if you want to read more sources, especially on the Rambam and the Ramban, please check out that book, Wrestling with Demons by Rabbi Nathan Slifkin. And you have anything to say about... Demons, the dark side, and evil. I can just sing the song again. Go ahead. It's where my demons hide. It's where my demons hide. Next time we're going to talk about something less spooky. And more singy. And even more singy. <laughs> Au revoir. Bye.